Today is a pre-launch Sunday. Next week we start officially 50 Days of Transformation. And so today I want to spend some time setting us up for that. I want to make sure that we're ready to go. I want to make sure that you totally uh, really kind of get where we're going and what we're doing. I think most of you probably do. I want to encourage you. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to give God 50 days so you can become somebody that you never imagined being. And some of you say, well, I'm good with where I am. I don't need any more of this change stuff. I'm just, I'm happy with where I am. God has a bigger plan for you and us. As we walk in Christ, I would hope, no matter where you're at, whether you are 10 years old or you're 50 years old or you're 75 years old or you're 90 years old, I would hope you would say, God, until I go to heaven, you have more for me, and I want to know what that is. We're going to go on this journey, and it's going to take a little of your involvement. It's going to take some commitment. I want to ask you to be here on Sundays. We start next week on February 7th. We go for seven weeks. That takes us to Palm Sunday. And then the following Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior on Easter Sunday. I'm excited about where we're going the next 50 days. I want to encourage you, be in a small group. We've been talking about this. If you are in a small group, you're going to need one of these. If you're not in a small group, you're going to need one of these. The only problem is if you get one of these, you're not in a small group, you're not going to have about half the information because you receive that in your small group gathering. And so you're going to need one of these. These are on a table out in the lobby. And I've been saying I'm asking if you can to help cover the cost for a $12 suggested donation. You say, I don't have any money. That's fine. Take a book. You say, well, my family needs five books. Well, then take five for your family, and if you can help cover the cost of two, cover two. Now, some of you in here say, man, I can take two books, and I can pay for ten of these. That's great. We'd gladly welcome you in paying for ten of them if you want to do that. But you're going to need one of these. Stuff to take sermon notes in here, devotional material. When you get done, you're going to end up with a guidebook that I would hope that doesn't just sit on your shelf that you can go back to and say, man, I want to walk in a life that is continually being transformed by Jesus. And so you're going to need one of these books. Pick that up if you haven't done so uh, as of yet. And so um, grab one of those. Um, Daily devotions and quiet time. And then a major aspect of the Transform series is setting some goals. And I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't been very good lately at setting my own personal goals. As we go through this series, I think sometimes it's really good to learn from others. And so this series is not something Centerpoint has come up with. We we are basically borrowing this and learning from Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, who they they are one of the most effective churches to help people walk in Jesus. And so as I'm studying his sermons and saying, now when you bring these sermons to our congregation, God's like smacking me right between the head of the two-by-four saying, now don't just get up there and preach this. Take this to your own life. And he's been telling me, Brian, you've been really weak in setting goals lately. So what I share with you today is not uh, by no means something I have conquered. It's one I'm learning, and I'm going on the journey going, okay, God, you're speaking to me. I'm hearing you, and I've got to be doing this along with the congregation. Here's the key verse for this series we're going to go in, Romans 12, 2. Would you read this with me? Read this out loud with me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do that again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Do you realize that God created you to be unique? He created you to be unique. He created you to be special. God created you to be like nobody else. You have a very unique voice print, thumb print, hand print, uh, heartbeat, and God says, I want you to be unique, and I don't want you to be conformed to, ben- to anybody else's idea. Problem is, we start off as originals, and we end up as copies of other people. We get conformed, and we get pressured, and we get pushed into a mold. You stop and think about that in the teenage years. Well, I want to be different. I'm going to dress differently. I'm going to wear my hair differently. I'm going to do all this. And you look around and you go, man, don't all those teenagers look the same? We've all been down that road. We've all walked that path. Well, I want to be different. I want to walk this path in the business world. And you start going, wow, you, you're a CEO and you look like a whole bunch of other CEOs. Well, I want to be different. I want to work in the construction world or do something in my hands. You go, look at, man, look at, they all look the same. We tend to drift towards being conformed by other people. During the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven key areas of life and how God wants to transform your thinking to bring the power of God in your life so God can work in us and that God can work through us and that God can change our thought patterns so that the only person who is transforming us and the only person that we're conforming to is to the ways of God. That's what we're looking at. So God is concerned about all areas of life. We're looking at these seven, your spiritual health, your physical health, your mental health, your financial health, your relational health, and your vocational health. We're going to dive in in each of those seven areas. We're going to be doing it on Sunday mornings. We're going to be doing that in our devotionals. We're going to be doing that in our small groups, our growth groups. Elementary kids are going to be involved in that. Junior high and high school kids are going to be involved in that. And they'll be looking at it from their angles of life and will be involved in that. And we need to be ready to be transformed because God is going to do something new in us in each and every area if we're willing to let him do some work in us. Are you willing? Are you willing? See, the temptation in American culture is, well, let me just float in a church. I go do church, sing a few songs, I go home. All right, let me go to my small group. If I go to one, let me go to church. Let me just go. And we are terrible, pretty much, as American culture church, of saying, God, truly change me. We get used to just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, over and over and over and over again, and over and over and over again. And we look at our lives as a Christian and really we say, I'm not much different when I was 30 than I am when I'm 40 and I'm 50 and I'm 60. We should be changing and transforming all throughout our lives while we're here on earth. First thing we're going to do is recognize in order to get to the point of transformation, we've got to have some goals. You've got to set some goals. If you lose your goal, you lose your purpose. You, have you ever done this? Have you ever been like in the living room and you get up and you go in the kitchen and you think, I'm going to go in the kitchen and do it. And you get in the kitchen, you get in the middle and you go, now what did I come to the kitchen for? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Someone told me that's because you walk through door frames. When you walk through a door frame, it messes with your mind. I don't know if that's true or not. But I've done that, and it seems like as I get older, I do that more often. Yeah, I'm going to get up, and I go in the kitchen, and I'm, what was that? I think we do that with God. Well, God wants me to go on this path, start walking. We go, now, what was I doing with God? What's, what's the journey? What, what's the goal? What am I supposed to be doing here? And we just totally forget. We forget the goal, and we forget the direction. This series about, is about recognizing potential that God has placed inside of you to experience that life, the life that God wants you to have. 
Remember, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. He came to bring us life. He wants us to have it to the full. I want, I want, I want to see you make the best of the rest of your life. I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for our congregation. I want to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus has. And he does have an abundant life for us. Even in the midst of all the trials and tribulations and the hardships, he still has abundance planned for us. So I want us to look at six reasons why we should set goals in our lives. The Bible says there's six things. Number one, if you don't have it, haven't done it yet, pick up a guide on your chair. And again, as you pick up the guide and you use the notes, you're probably going to want to slide these into your transform book and, and keep them all together. Or maybe you can just use that to take the notes in that or, or transfer them. Um, God wants to set goals. Why? Because goal setting, first of all, is a spiritual responsibility. Do you know that God sets goals? We probably don't stop and really think about that a lot, but whatever God does is something we should do if we want to be, uh, be led and be conformed to the image of Jesus. God has goals for humankind. I mean, if you read the book of Revelations, you see that God has goals for the believer and the unbeliever, the Antichrist and the devil, and for history. And God certainly has goals for your life and my life. When we read scriptures, we discover Jesus set goals. Jesus made sure that he got to Jerusalem because that was his goal. And when the disciples tried to keep him from getting to Lazarus who had died, he said, no, I'm still getting to Lazarus. And it was his goal. And he pursued that and made sure he got to Lazarus in order to raise him from the dead. Every person who walked with God in the Bible, you can see examples of them being goal-directed. Now, they may not have said, no, this is my goal. But as you look at their life, you can see some goals there. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3. He said, I know that I am not yet what God wants me to be. Does anybody agree with that? You ever feel that? Right? I know I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't totally achieved it. He says, I haven't reached that goal, but I keep moving toward it to make it mine because Christ made me and saved me for this. I know that I haven't yet reached my goal, but there's one thing I always do. Forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead. I keep my eyes focused on the goal so that I may one day win the prize that God has called me to receive through Christ in the life above. All of you who are spiritually matured should think this same way too. As Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he's telling them, I haven't arrived. I have a goal. My eyes are on heaven. Paul used that word. He said, that goal, my goal, and the goal. He said, I hadn't reached it, but the goal was there. It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic when we stop going after the goal of knowing Jesus Christ. He has an abundant life for us. Somewhere along the line, sometimes we trip up, we stub our toe, we settle into mediocrity. God has a goal for us. Why is it important for you to set goal? Because it, it's a spiritual responsibility. You're going to go through life either by design or by default. You're either going to set goals or you're, and decide what's important for your life or other people will set those goals for you. Think about the college student who takes off to college. They go into college, they've graduated from high school, and they go and think, I'm going to go and put in four or five years or six years or eight years. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a this. And they go there, and many of them don't graduate. They went with a goal, but then they met friends who said, let's have a party and let's have a fun and let's do this and let's do that. And they get off target of whatever the goal is. 
We do the same thing. You may say, oh, I have a goal. I want to do this in my life with my family or do this in my life with my kids or I want to do this in my life and my career. And then some boss tells you, well, I need you to be here and I need you to do that. I need you to put in this kind of time. And before long, we're in this rat race and you think back and say, that was never my goal. If you don't stay committed to your goals and you know where you're going, then somebody else will plan your future. Somebody else is always looking to do that. Because you've got to know what's important. The only way for a college kid or for us to stay on our focus is to know our goal. A believer is going to ask the question, is this course of action pointing me towards my goal of life of getting to know God? Got to ask that question. Is, is what I'm doing right now, does it point me towards the goal of getting to know God? Number two, goals are statements of faith. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you set a goal, what you're saying is this. You're saying, I believe, and that's faith, I believe that God wants me to accomplish such and such by such and such time. It's a statement of faith. That's a statement of faith. A goal is that statement. This is what I believe that God is going to do in my life. And goals aren't just a statement of faith. They stretch your faith. See, the bigger your goal, the more your faith will be stretched. And that pleases God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible, in other words, to make God happy. It's impossible. And the Bible says that. So if you don't have any goals, then I guess you don't need any faith. We are preparing for the series. We're talking about goals. One of our goals was let's have 25 groups. We have 22. We've never had 22 groups in the life of Center Point Christian Church. Never. Last 10 years, never had 22 offered all at the same time. So if you don't have any goals, you don't, any, you don't need any faith. And if you don't need any, need any faith, then the Bible says that's impossible to please God. It takes faith to please God. Here's a goal-stretching verse. Look at Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, far more than you could ever imagine. Far more than you could ever imagine, or guess, or dare to request in your wildest dreams. In the church, in our lives, we often don't dream big enough, do we? I think sometimes our dreams are, are too small. At some point, I think we should let the size of our God determine the size of our goal and our dreams. Who do you think God is? Who is God to you? I mean, if you have a big God, then you should dream big goals. If you have a tiny God, you'll have tiny goals. If you say there is no God, then you probably have no goal. Let the size of your God determine the size of your goals. What kind of goals are God going to instill in you during this next 50 days? Your leaders at Centerpoint want to see the best for you for the rest of your life. We want to see you succeed in life while you're here on this earth. And over this 50-day journey, I want to encourage you to be bold in setting some goals and believe for some great dreams and try to believe again and try to capture that childlike faith that says, one time I used to dream and think about, to go back to those days. Have your mind transform and quit thinking things like, well, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not handsome enough or I'm not smart enough or I failed too many times or, and you fill in the blank, because those are all stinking lies from Satan. He's the one that tells us you can't or it's impossible. That is not the language of God. Stop all the arguments that you have with God. The goal is I want my marriage to be fantastic. 
The goal is I want to be a man of God. The goal is I want to be a woman of God. The goal is I want to quit doing. I want to start doing. Start dreaming things and lay them at God's feet and say, God, I'm going to give you these goals, and I'm putting out my faith, trusting for you to help me. There's two common mistakes in setting goals. We set them too low, and we try to accomplish them too quickly. Goals take some time. During the 50-Day Transform series, we will set one goal in each area. In your devotional material you have, you'll see there's a page where you go through one week, and in that week you're praying and you're thinking, God, what is the one goal? And you set that one goal and you transfer it. So when you're done with the 50 days, you'll have seven specific goals to say, all right, God, we've been through this. Now we're going to continue to work on these. I want to encourage you, allow God Give God the chance to grow your faith. Start to think bigger. Start to think, God, how can you use me? God put dreams in us, put dreams in me. The difference between a dream and a goal is that a goal has a date and a deadline. And we need a dream and we need to have goals. And that's how we're going to get something out of this 50 days we go through. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, it will be done to you. God's basically saying to us, you get to choose how much I bless your life your choice. How much I'll transform your life. Great faith will equal great transformation. Nothing happens in your life until you start dreaming. And God says you get to choose according to your faith. According to your faith. It can't be my faith. It it can't be your wife's faith or your husband's faith or your friend's faith. According to your personal faith, as you dream, as you dream, God says "That's, that's how I do it. Number three, goals focus my energy. Another one of the reasons why we need goals, it helps us to be focused, to keep you from wasting time and money and reputation and energy, to keep you focused. We hurt ourselves when we try to do too many things. Focus is the key to an effective life. And I think most of us understand that, but we get busy and we allow things to crowd in. It's not these 50 things that I dabble in. Most of us understand the more I dabble in, the, the, the worse I do. Because I can only dabble and I really can't focus in. It's the one thing I do. The more you focus your life, the more powerful, the more effective your life's going to be. Think about cleaning your house for a moment. Some of you say, I don't do that. Someone else, my wife does that or my husband does that. But just, just dream with me for a moment. What's most effective? Is it more effective to say, well, I'll go to this one bedroom and run a vacuum cleaner here, go to another one bedroom, run a vacuum cleaner here, go to another bedroom, run a vacuum cleaner here, and I'll go over here and dust. Oh, now what was I doing? If you bounce from room to room to room to room, you ever been through that and you think, I'm not getting anywhere. No, the best thing is to focus. I'm going to go into one room. I'm going to clean this room top to bottom. I'm going to go to the next room. And as you focus on one area, you'll feel like you're having victory. Dave Ramsey teaches the debt snowball method. If you've ever been through any of his training, most of us try to say, well, I got five debts. I'm going to pay a little bit on this one, a little bit on this one, a little bit on this one, a little bit on this one. You start feeling like, I am getting nowhere. These debts have been hanging around with me forever. And he says, pick the smallest debt, attack it, focus, attack that small debt, then go to the next one and roll it over and then go to the next one because you get traction by focusing on one thing and doing it great. Think about an unfocused basketball team. That was my sport growing up. Basketball team showing off its dribbling skills, its passing skills, but it doesn't really shoot the basketball, and it loses focus of the goal. The world is full of distractions. Everybody has to deal with distractions. Every single one of us, every single day, there's a lot of things that can distract us. You can spend your life. We, we can waste our lives 
or we can invest our life. And the greatest use of life is to invest it in that which is going to last forever and eternity. You don't have time to do everything. So as you go on this journey, I want to encourage you to focus your energy. Here's the good news. God doesn't expect you to do everything. Sometimes we try to take on so much and have so many goals, we think God expects us. Not everything is worth doing. There's only a few things that are really worth doing. The key to be an effective woman of God or a man of God is to do what matters most and forget everything else. And so goals bring a focus to my life. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He says, I do not run without a goal. I fight like a boxer who's hitting something, not just the air. I love that terminology. He's saying, I'm not playing around here. I'm not pretending to box. When I box, I fight to win. When I run a race, I run to win. None of us would dare get into a race or go into a boxing match or go into a sporting event and say, well, I'm just going to go just have a little bit of fun and just kind of mess around. No, you go in to win. Paul's saying, I'm not going to do something with the rest of my life that just wastes time. In church, I think we need to have that attitude of Paul. I want to have a purpose for my life. I want to have a goal. I want my life to bring honor and glory to God, and so I don't run without a goal. Number four, goals keep me going. They give me hope to keep moving. They give me hope to endure. They give me hope to persist. Back in my younger days, when I played basketball, I can remember hating the conditioning. Hated it. Caleb and I were driving down the road, and he's talking about some of his football conditioning. He's talking about certain exercises I hate. And I said, Caleb, just remember the goal. Dad. That's the only way I got through it sometimes. When you're running, and you're puking, and you're running, and you're puking, and I'm thinking, why am I doing this, playing high school ball? Because we as a team had a dream. We wanted to win our league. We wanted to win our district. We wanted to win the regional, and we wanted to win the state. We run a couple league championships, and we Won a couple of district championships. Regionals, you go to Detroit and play against a whole level of school, and we got things handed to us pretty badly when we went up that way. But we worked our tail off in the offseason conditioning. Why? Because we had a goal in mind. Lose the focus of the goal, and it wouldn't keep us going. The Bible says that God wants you to have hope. If you don't have goals in your life, any goals in your life, you really don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And that's really the truth, except maybe to eat. But really, what do you get out of bed? Why even live if you don't have a goal in your life? And that's what Job talked about. Job was going through all of his trials. In Job 6.11, he says, I do not have the strength to endure. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, I just don't have the strength to keep going? He says, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it, is what he's saying. He says, I don't have the strength to endure. Why? Look at the next sentence. I do not have a goal that encourages me to carry on. Even Job recognized, I need a goal that gets me out of bed and gets me going. You have to have a goal to keep going. So many people quit so close to the goal being realized. When you have a long-term goal, that goal will keep you going, keep you from being discouraged with the short-term setbacks. What's the long-term goal as a Christian? The long-term goal is to, to be with God in eternity forever. The long-term goal is to honor God with our lives. Everybody that will have setbacks, every now and then we're going to blow it. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has a failure. In fact, failure is the only way you're going to succeed. You cannot succeed without falling. Why? Because that's how you learn what works and what doesn't work. When you fall short, you start learning, that didn't work out so well. And so maybe you change the word instead of saying failure, say, I have a new education. 
I've learned something new today. It didn't work out, and so I just learned something. A goal doesn't have to be a big one to motivate you. I mean, for instance, if you went to the hospital and you had surgery, your goal might be, can I sit up in bed today? You accomplish sitting up in bed today, and your next goal might be, can I swing my feet around to the side of the bed today? And the next goal might be, can I stand up in this room today? And the next goal, which might be a big one, can I go to the bathroom by myself? And the next goal might be, can I wander around the wing of the hospital where it's one small goal on top of another small goal on top of another small goal and accomplish a big, huge goal. But we've got to set some goals. Got to set some goals because to get... From here to there, success is not one big leap. It's several small steps, many small steps. So a goal doesn't have to be big to be important. It's getting you on the way that, where God wants you to be. Number five, goals build my character. Goals build my character. Drifting doesn't build character, but goals build your character. If you set a goal, you get a vision of what could be. Uh, without a vision, the Bible says that the people perish. And when you have a goal, you have a vision of where you could be and what could be done. If you get a vision, you get a goal that God says, now I can work in you and make this happen. Now remember this, the greatest benefits in your life over goals you're setting over the next 50 days is not going to be what you accomplish in a goal and achievements in those goals, but what happens inside of you as you work towards them. It's not about having goals so I can check all this stuff off. It's about goals that you're putting your faith in God to work inside of you, and he's going to do some heart work on us when we do that. God is more interested in your character than he is in your accomplishments. And that's what goals do. When we set a goal out there and we trust God in faith to do that, he starts shaping our character. The accomplishments may not come, but our faith will grow and our character will change. See, you know this. You know you're not taking your success to heaven with you. You know you're not taking your career to heaven with you. But, but you are taking your character. You're taking who you are and who you've become. That's going with you to heaven. So God is more interested in who you are and what you've become than he is in what, what you've done and what you've accomplished and what you've succeeded at. God's interested in you. He's interested in who we are. So here's the idea. While I'm working on the goal, God is working on me. And he does that work. Does that make sense? He does that work to us. That's what God wants to do in your life. God helps to build the character, and that's what will last for eternity. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.12, I keep striving toward the goal. I keep striving. In other words, I'm not giving up. That, that means it takes energy. That means it takes effort. It means it takes intention. It means that it takes purpose in order to reach your goal. God says while you're doing that, while you're working on a goal, I'm building your character. You'll never become the man, never become the woman that God intends you to be unless you intend to become that person, unless you say, I'm going to work at it, unless you say, God, I want to honor you. God, I want my life to count for your reasons. I, I, I just tell you, here's the warning for you. Ten years from now, some of you sitting in this room will not be in church. You won't be at center point. You won't be at anywhere. There's a chance that could happen. T ten years from now, some of you in this room could be a long way away from God. Ten, ten years from now, some of you could say, I've been through broken relationships. I've been through fi failed financial things. I've been through drug addiction. I've been through troubles. I've been in trouble with the law. You have all kinds of problems in your life. Why? 
Because some in this room possibly are just floating through life and floating through church and are just playing Christianity, and you sit and go, oh, I don't care about all this gold stuff. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be difficult. I don't say that to be hard. I'm telling you, God doesn't work with just casual Christianity. And God wants to work on your character. And it may be this or it may be that that gets in the way, but if you have the intention that says, I want my life to honor God, if you have the tension that says, I want to sit at the throne of God and him say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you say, I'm going to work at that, I'm going to put some goals together, then God will build your character and he'll help you do that. But if it's just, nah, God, I just kind of float in, float out, chances are Satan will have his way. Chances are. He'll build your character if you really, truly intend to allow him to do that. Number six, good goals will be rewarded. If you have good goals, there's going to be two reasons that you're going to be rewarded. One, you're going to be rewarded here on earth just by people. And number two, you're going to be rewarded by God in heaven. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty seven, if your goals are good, you will be respected. Circle that. You will be respected. It's right there on your outline. If you have good goals, people are going to respect you. And most of us want to be respected. That's a, just a, a benefit of here on earth. But the real reward is setting good goals is going to come in eternity. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, all athletes practice strict self-control. In other words, they eat right, they sleep right, they work out, they exercise. He says they do it to win a prize that will fade away. That will fade away. In other words, nobody's going to remember the game from two weeks ago or two years ago. They're not going to remember that. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run, Paul says, straight to the goal with purpose in every step. Paul says, I'm focusing on heaven. I'm focusing on eternity. I'm not focusing on things of this earth. Of this earth. He was a goal setter. And I think if we're going to have success in this 50 days of transformation, we've got to take the part about goal setting seriously. And it starts now, saying, God, I'm going on this journey, and God, I want you to raise up some goals inside of me. And God, I'm an open book for you to do that work inside of me. Now, what kind of goal does God bless? Three questions to ask on the back of your outline. Three questions. Not every goal that you can set is a good goal. Not every goal is a goal that God's going to bless. So you want goals in these seven areas or the next seven weeks that you want to set in your life that, you, that God's going to bless. So how do you know what kind of goal that is? Let me close with these three questions. When you get ready to set a goal, you want to ask three questions. One, will this goal honor God? Will this goal honor God? That's the first question. What kind of goal will honor God, you ask? What kind of goal brings glory to God? Any goal that causes you to trust him more, to depend upon him more, to love him more, to love other people more, to serve God more, to serve others, to be more unselfish, those are good goals that honor God. If there are goals that are just all about me, it's probably not God-honoring. Are you using your body to honor God? Are you using your body for pleasure or for selfish reason? Our bodies are to honor God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, when you eat or drink or do anything, always do it to honor God. So when you set a goal and you say, I want it to honor God, and everything can do that, taking out the garbage can honor God by the attitude that you have. Uh, washing the dishes can honor God. Clean, cleaning your car can honor God. Cleaning out your closet can honor God. Going to work can honor God. How you, how you handle that situation can honor God. Is it an attitude of, God, I, I, I want to do this and I want to do it with the right heart? Or is it an attitude of, oh man, I have to. Oh, I hate doing this. 
doing it with the right motive, a motive of gratitude and for the right motivation that you want your life to bring honor to God. Will this goal honor God? The Bible says we make it our goal to please Him in 2 Corinthians. That's what Paul says. Make it our goal to please Him in everything we do. Second question is, is this. Is this goal motivated by love? See, that's the second question. You ask, when you set a goal for your finances or your health or your relationships or whatever it may, may be, is it motivated by love? That you remove goals motivated by greed and envy and fear and worry and materials and ego and pride, and you say, is it motivated by love? That this goal is motivated because it's going to help me love God more, the vertical beam of the cross, or is this goal going to help me love mankind more, love your neighbor as yourself, the horizontal beam of the cross, and if it's motivated by love that this is going to help me either love God or love people more, then it's going to be a goal that honors God. And God's going to want to bless that. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, love must be your highest goal. Love must be your highest goal. That should be the number one goal in life, that I really want to learn to love. I want to learn to love the people in my life that are unlovely. I want to learn to love the loveless of the on, with, that are unloved. I want to learn to love people who are hard to love. That's being like God. And when your goals align with God's heart for love, God says, I want to bless that. Third question, will this goal require depending upon God? Will this goal require depending on God? Remember I said earlier, Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please God. That means I have to depend upon him. Look what the verse says in Proverbs 16, 9. We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. And that's what we're going to do over the next 50 days of transformation. You get to plan with God's help and the spirit working inside. You get to plan the way you want to live. And this series will help you make the rest of your life the best of your life. We get the plan and way we want to live, but it says only God gives us the power. God gives us the energy. He gives us the ability <coughs> to actually do it, to make the transformation. Why is that? Because God provides three things that we must have in order to reach that goal. He provides the Spirit to empower us. It's not something based on willpower the goals are based upon God's power. It's not based on trying. It's based on trusting. And I need God's Spirit to empower me. Zechariah 4.6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so our goals will help us connect more with the Spirit that lives inside of us. Secondly, I need God's Word to guide me. I need God's Spirit to empower me but I need God's Word to guide me. The book, this book right here, the Bible, this is the owner manual for life. We just went through last fall, and I said this is going to set us up for what we're going to do after the new year, that this book right here, as you get into this book, as you get this into your mind, as you get it into your heart, as you get it into your life, the more successful, the more fulfilled, the more hope, the more strong, the more you're going to walk in this life with God guiding you and God helping you. When Joshua was given, over, given the great dream of taking over the promised land, and it was a goal that was going to take him the rest of his life, God said these words to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. He said, keep this book, that's the Bible, keep this book of the law on your lips. In other words, he wanted them to talk about them all the time. Recite it day and by night. That means memorize it so it's in your mind so you can quote it, that you actually that you may carefully follow all that is written in it. That's the premise here. That's the promise. Then you will successfully attain your goal. And God gave him instruction. He said, this is what you need. 
We don't need any self-help books. We don't need any self-help television. We don't need any more articles off of Facebook that's telling us how to live our lives. We need this book in our life. Third thing you need is you need God's people. We need God's people to support me. You'll not be able to reach your goals on your own. I know I'm not able to reach my goals on my own. Any goal I've ever achieved in life, it's because I shared it with somebody else and said, would you hold me accountable? Would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would you encourage me? It takes a team to fulfill the dream. And so you need other people in your life. That's why we insist around here of getting in a small group or a growth group. And you're never going to do it. You're not going to feel like you're part of a church, really, until you're a smaller group. You just won't. And i got to tell you, a crowd can't support you. And if your option of church is, well, I come into church, and I go to Centerpoint, or I go to wherever, or I hit a church here, and I hit a church there, and I just kind of float around, and I think just that church is going in and hearing a sermon, and, hearing, and being part of the worship, and singing a few songs, you're missing the boat. You're totally missing the boat. A crowd can't support you, but when you get together with three or four or five or six people, a small group, when you're sick, they know you're sick. When you're discouraged, they know you're discouraged. When you're financially struggling, they probably know you're financially struggling. When you're hurting, they're there to come alongside and help you. For some of you, you, you've experienced that in this church. A crowd can't support you but a small group can. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, by yourself you're unprotected. What that means, it's like the football player running down the field carrying the ball saying, I'm going to carry the ball, but there's no blockers. There's no one there to help me. You're unprotected. You're all out there all by yourself. You're playing one against 11 or one against many. You're unprotected. If you're not in a small group, you don't have any blockers for you. You, you have no teammates around you. You're trying to do life by yourself. I cannot appeal to you more than, than I can today, church. If you don't get in a small group, you're going to get very little out of this series over the next seven weeks. I can't say any other way. The small group experience is the secret sauce to this, to this whole journey. And I want to encourage you, 22 opportunities So if you come to me and say, well, Brian, there's not really a time that works. I think you're listening to the liar, Satan, telling you that. Because what it means is making a choice to say, well, I could make the time on Sunday or I could make the time on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever time is out there. 22 opportunities. And we did 22 opportunities because we want them to be small groups. We're looking for groups to be four, five, six people. Four people is great. Six people is tremendous. We don't, we don't want groups to be 12, 14, 16, 18 adults, and then 30 kids running around the house. So, folks, I want to encourage you the best I can. Take seven weeks and say, God, I'm going to get in a group. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do this by myself. You need God's people to support you. By coming together with others, you'll be transformed. It's going to be a life-changing experience if you'll do it. If you'll hear, if you'll read, you'll hear the message, you'll, you'll watch, and you'll, you'll learn together, you'll grow together, you'll, you'll serve together. I guarantee in seven weeks, and then as you put those things you learn into practice, 2016 could be a year like you never imagined. could be a year that you never dreamed of. You'll hear it, you'll read it, you'll watch it, you'll discuss it, you'll do it. You'll not be the same person in 50 days. You'll receive from God things that you never thought was possible. 
Jesus died to give you a goal in life. He died to give you a goal. That goal was to come into relationship with the very one that God raised from the dead so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Do you know Him as your Savior? We come to our time of communion. And as you look at the cross, I want you to think about goal setting. God had a goal and He gave us Jesus and Jesus came to this earth with that goal. To be our sacrifice. To wipe away our sin. And he could have walked away from that. He could have made that choice. He made the choice to go all the way to the cross to give his life, to, be, to give his life to die for you, die for me, to be buried in a tomb, rise again. In that, he conquers the grave. He conquers your sin and my sin. That was his goal. He accomplished it. Our goal then is to choose him and to walk with him. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing that we choose. Today I walk with Jesus. Tomorrow I walk with Jesus. The next day I walk with Jesus. It's a daily and sometimes an hourly thing. I'm going to walk with Jesus. And for some it could be I need to make that decision to accept Him as my Savior. So how do I do that here? A couple ways you can do that. You use your connection card and put it on the back. I want to talk more about a relationship with Jesus. For some, it's, hey, during this time of worship, as we continue on, you get a walk to the back, and myself, few of our leaders are back. There's a walk back. Hey, help me on this journey with Jesus. It could be an email. Help me on the journey with Jesus. It could be right now as, as we commune, you pray, Lord, I need you in my life. And you make that commitment, and then you share that with others, and you confess your sin and you're baptized. We're going to have a baptism second service. So excited about that. Someone is coming and just saying, I- I'm submitting my life to Jesus. We want to help you on that journey. As you think about the cross, as we have communion, think about the goal that Jesus had in his mind. It was you. It was you. Is He first? Is He the goal in your mind? Heavenly Father, I thank You. God, You had a goal to rescue us from our sin. God, I thank You that You put into action a plan, and that was Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord, that Your Son, Jesus, stayed on the path, stayed on the journey, stayed on the goal, and gave His life for me and gave His life for all of us in this room and gave His life for this world. Father, help us to know the love of Christ. Lord, as we sit and we partake in communion together, we pick up those emblems. We're reminded of your death and your burial and resurrection. Lord, help us to understand that goal. When you sent your son to the cross, you had us on your mind. Lord, help us to keep the goal of having you first in our life every day, every hour of every day. And Father, I pray for the person maybe in this room that hasn't accepted you as Savior. Today could be that day. If not today, in the very near future, Lord, I pray they would listen to the call of Christ and commit their life to you, Jesus, as Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen.